I'm really excited today because we're going to talk about the life of Peter. He was one of the apostles, one of the guys who followed Jesus around for the three years of his earthly ministry. And we're going to see how Peter moved from fear and failure to forgiveness and freedom. I'm particularly excited about looking at Peter this morning because his story centers around the Easter story. So we're going to get to look at Easter through this. And I think that his story is also our story because ultimately it is about Jesus and his power and redemption. So we're going to look at several passages today. There is an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper strewn around the room. Every couple seats have it. So if you want to follow along there, we've got um, uh, some of the Bible verses there. We also will have some of the verses in your Bible or on your phone. I will not have slides this morning, though, because we're looking at a lot of scripture and it would have been a lot of cumbersome clicking to try to follow along. So we're going to start in Mark 14. Um, We're not going to read yet, but you can get your Bibles out or phones or pieces of paper. Um, And we're going to meet Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends. He's one of the three of his nearest and dearest apostles, disciples, dude that followed him around while he taught and ministered to people. Peter witnessed amazing things of God. In Mark 14, we're at the end of Jesus' ministry. We're close to it wrapping up. Peter has seen Jesus heal blind people, cleanse lepers. He's seen Jesus raise a dead person, uh, which is wild. He's watched him teach, feed 5,000 people from a couple of fish and some bread. He's seen Jesus walk on the water. He has experienced this this wonder and insanity of who Jesus is. He saw the kingdom preached, and he saw the kingdom of God demonstrated in these miracles. And Peter loves Jesus, and he desires to serve Jesus with his whole heart. He just boldly wants to follow Jesus. But we're, and so he lays that out. And so we're going to look at Mark 14, verse, starting in verse 26. And so here, um, they're just getting ready. They just had the Last Supper where Jesus institutes communion, the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of wine. He shares um, who he's going to be, that he's going to be betrayed and, and killed. And this is like right before Jesus' betrayal. And so in 26, it says, when they had sung the hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters, for it was written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though all become deserters, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you today, this very night, Before the rooster crows two times, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And everybody else said the same things. So Peter really doesn't want to deny Jesus. Peter, in his devotion to the Lord, in his 
captivated wonder of who Jesus is, boldly proclaims that he will never deny Jesus. He really actually desires to not deny Jesus. He desires even to go to his death if Jesus would be betrayed unto death. So what ends up happening? Is Peter right or is Jesus right? And so we'll go to 66. 14, 66. We see what actually plays out. Um, what happens between that proclamation and where we're going to start reading is Jesus is betrayed by Judas that a, a group of soldiers come with some of the folks sent out by the religious authorities and the rulers of the Jewish people to capture Jesus in the night. They come and they take him and they're leading him away and like Jesus prophesied, everybody scatters. But Peter We'll see, he followed behind at a distance. And in 66, it says, While Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus was above in, the, um, in with the, the temple leaders. He was in the courtyard with a bunch of servants. And when he was below in the courtyard, as Jesus was being beaten and, and held against his will, Peter was in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. What's important is there are two descriptions of this woman. It is servant girl, servant and girl. And so in Jewish culture, in the ancient Near East, women didn't hold a particularly high position. And servants held a particularly low position. So this is someone with basically the least power in the day. A servant girl had almost no power. Her testimony, actually, the testimony of a woman wouldn't stand up in court which is really interesting here. So the testimony of a woman, it's not right, but back in the day, that's how it was. The testimony of a woman wouldn't stand up in court. And she was a servant, so low, very little power. She came by and saw Peter warming himself. She stared at him and said, you were also with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But Peter denied him. He said, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Um, it's kind of a light denial. It's not like a, I never knew him, but it's kind of like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't understand you. Like, get away from me. And then he went out into the front of the court, and he heard a rooster crow. And the servant girl on seeing him began to say to the other servants, the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And then a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse and swore an oath, I do not know this man you are talking about. And at that moment, the cock crowed for a second time. And Peter remembered what Jesus said, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter I will die with you, Jesus, Peter. Even if everyone else abandons you, Jesus, I will not. Peter denies him three times to a servant girl who can't even testify against him in court. Fear took over. He was bound by this fear and it took over and it led to him not even leading up 
living up to his own expectations and desires. His fear led to his failure. And isn't this our story too? Are we not incapable also of living up to even our own standards? Haven't we all not lived up and done what we wanted to do? Have we been enslaved by fear, unable to step out and live the kind of life that we desire? Have we been so afraid of other people's opinions that we don't live the life that we are called to live? Have we not all failed and made mistakes and done things that we do not want to do? In the book of Romans, Paul writes this amazing thing in Romans 7, starting in verse 14. And it is looking at this turmoil and conflict between our desire to do what is right and our inability to get it done. Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. What he's saying is that I can see a right standard of action. I look at the law and say, yes, that is good. There is a moral and upstanding and right way to live, and I desire that. But I'm incapable of doing it. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. Jesus, I will never deny you. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I don't know the man. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my innermost self, but I see in the members of my body another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Peter broke down and wept. He didn't want to deny Jesus. He didn't want to forsake his friend and his Savior and his Lord. He didn't want to walk obstinately away from Jesus. He wanted, he wanted to serve him. He wanted to die with him, but he was afraid. How many times have we willed what to do, what is right, and we do the very opposite? Peter's story is our story. 
But Paul continues here in a really interesting way. In 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. He's saying he is incapable of completely doing what he wants to do. He is incapable of following the law. He is incapable of living the moral, upright life that he desires to live. And then Paul says in 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Hang on. Pause. He goes through this whole thing of saying, here's the law. Here's the righteous way of living. Here is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm a complete failure, and I can't live up to God's standard, and I can't even live up to my own standard. And wait, there is no condemnation? Hang on. He just spent like four paragraphs condemning himself. And the next breath is there is now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is wild. What does it mean? It means when, when Jesus raised from the dead, he goes out and he sees his bros, including Peter, fishing. And he says, hey guys, come on over. And Peter jumps in and says, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. And Jesus just says, hey Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, let's feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know my heart. You know I love you. Three times again, he says, do you love me? He doesn't say, Peter, you denied me. Peter, you really failed me. He didn't say, Peter, come on, get your together. There's no condemnation. He died on the cross he forgave our sins. There's no condemnation. He doesn't wag a finger at Peter saying, come on, bro, you got to do better. There's no condemnation. Peter, do you love me? Here, have some breakfast. Here we are, back in fellowship together because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he died on the cross and his death was sufficient to forgive your sins, to overcome your fear, to forgive your failures. His death is sufficient to take care of the stuff that we can't take care of on our own. Even in our failings, even in our inability to live up to God's standard or our standard, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is good news. Because I know I need a Savior. I know that I don't live up to my own standard. I know that I need help that I have been enslaved to fear, that I have been enslaved to doubts, that I have been enslaved to sin, and I needed, need someone to forgive me and say, hey, have some breakfast. We're back in fellowship. I died to take care of that. So Peter goes from fear and failure, walking away from Jesus, to have Jesus invite him back into fellowship with no condemnation, but with forgiveness. From fear to failure to forgiveness. But what is awesome is that the story doesn't end there. It doesn't just end with forgiveness. 
Peter is not relegated for the rest of his life to keep doing the same thing over and over again and going back for forgiveness and denying Jesus and going back for forgiveness and denying Jesus and going back for forgiveness. Something unbelievable happens in this man's life. Something really great happens, and we're going to take a look. This is, like, seriously amazing. So what happens is, we're going to look at the text in a minute, but what happens between what we're about to read and Peter's forgiveness is Jesus says, I'm going to ascend to heaven, go away, and, you know, it's actually, it's actually good news that I'm leaving because I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. And he's going to teach you what you need to know. He's going to empower you to live the life that I am calling you to live. So go and wait for the helper, wait for the advocate, wait for the Holy Spirit to come so the believers go into the upper room. Pentecost happens where the Holy Spirit comes and fills these people, and they go out and they preach the gospel to the crowds that killed Jesus. They preach that Jesus is Lord to the very crowds that were cheering on his death, and 5,000 people give their lives to Jesus. It's like, what? And so then the Believers are walking around, the apostles are walking around, preaching and proclaiming Jesus, and now they're demonstrating the miracles that Jesus did. Peter and John just heal a dude in the temple courts, and it is amazing. Everybody is blown away by this fact. All these people are talking about it. They're teaching about who Jesus is. And then believe it or not, the same people that killed Jesus got kind of riled up because their power is getting encroached on again. Well, we thought we took care of it by killing Jesus, but they didn't, because now, instead of it being Jesus, all of a sudden his spirit is in all these disciples, and they're now doing the same works and preaching the same message that Jesus was doing. And so Acts 4. In light of what we just read, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, while Peter and John were speaking, okay, they just healed somebody, and now Acts 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them. These are the dudes who are in power politically and religiously in in Jerusalem in the day. Came to them much annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus there is resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. 5,000 more, boom, more people giving their life to Jesus because it's wondrous. And then the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, who were all of the high priestly family, when they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired and said, by what power or by what name did you do this? So like two weeks ago, not quite two weeks ago, Peter's back there. These same dudes are up there accusing Jesus and getting ready to kill them. And one of these guys, servant girls say, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Now, like a week and a half later, I don't know, two weeks later, they're actually standing in front of the people they were so afraid of. They're standing in front of the people who killed Jesus, standing in front of the masters of the servant girl that they said, oh no, I don't know who he is. And this is what they say. 
by what power or means did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, here's a difference, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being questioned today about a good deed done to someone who was sick and ask how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man standing before you in good, is in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who you killed, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you, the builders, rejected and has become the chief cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. It's like, hold up. This is the dude that was like, uh, no, I'm not with him. No, seriously, I'm not with him, guys. And then he says, no, no, no salvation anywhere except in the name of Jesus. You who killed him, you who you killed him, you rejected him, and in him is life. The response is awesome in 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, ordinary men, and they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They proclaimed the gospel, and the demonstration of the power of Jesus is there as a healed dude is standing next to them. They had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered him to leave the council, and then they discussed the matter with each other. They said, what are we going to do? It's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done. This dude's been healed, and we can't deny that. But to keep this news from spreading further among the people, let us warn them not to speak anymore in this name. So they called him back in, and they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, you've got to judge. For we cannot keep from speaking what we have seen and heard. So then after threatening them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because all the people were celebrating this healing in the name of Jesus. For all of them, praise God for what happened for the man on whom the sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders, all the powerful dudes in their city had said. When they heard it, they raised their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made us in heaven... Who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. It is you who said by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city both Herod and Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together against your servant Jesus. All the power structures, all the power structures came together against Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand pleased to predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants, what do they say? Do they say safety? No, they say, grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretched out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they prayed in the place they were gathered, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. They go 
Peter goes from fear and failure to forgiveness and then freedom and boldness. He goes from not able to keep his own standards, not able to keep the Lord's standards, of utterly failing and not doing what he wants to do, of denying his Savior to a servant girl because of fear, to standing in front and denying all the power structures of the day and claiming Jesus. Something happened. He was not only forgiven from sin, and he was, but he was also freed up to live the life that God has called him to live. Empowered, not by more of his own strength, not by more of his own effort, not by more of his own striving, not by more of his own discipline, but by the very Spirit of God entering him and empowering him to do the work that God has laid out for him to do. And... He got to do it in boldness. So guys, here's the good news. Here's what it means for us. If we're sitting here today unsure that we have been forgiven, right? And I, in Romans 8, I love this because he goes from that condemnation, right? I cannot do what I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. And then he says there's no condemnation. He doesn't say there's freedom and power to live an empowered life. And then as you live the empowered life, you're free from condemnation. That's not what he says. And Peter didn't get the Holy Spirit first to go and live this empowered life and was all bold. And then Jesus said, hey, great job, Pete. You really did well this time. Now you're back in fellowship. That's not how the gospel works. That's how every other system works is we work hard and we strive and we try and we discipline ourselves and we try to do better and we try to do better and then we slowly, incrementally work up the mountain of holiness or success or whatever it is we're climbing. The kingdom of God is completely different. It says, while you were still enemies of God, while you still hated him, while you were denying him, while you were walking away from him, he was dying to forgive you. Literally died to forgive you. And he says, in your failure, there's not condemnation, there's forgiveness. Come to me, and in me, in my death on the cross, is where you find forgiveness. That comes first, that we are first forgiven. We're not forgiven based on our performance. We're not forgiven based on our righteousness. We are forgiven based on the righteousness of Jesus, based on the performance of Jesus in his righteous life and his sinless death on the cross and his unbelievable resurrection that we are celebrating today when he went up from the grave in new life to invite us in, not just to forgiveness, but to new life in him. Because he puts his life in us. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so we are forgiven first. And if you haven't experienced that radical forgiveness of Jesus, that, that forgiveness that is divorced from your performance, 
that is divorced from your efforts, that meets you in the midst of your failure and shame, that says, come to me, ye who are weary, and you will find rest. If you haven't experienced that forgiveness, Jesus died to give it to you. And so it is yours in Jesus. If you haven't found the freedom of living apart from condemnation, not living under that constant accusing voice telling you that you're not enough, telling you that you're a failure, telling you that you're not good enough. If you haven't lived apart from that voice, it is yours. You can live in that forgiveness because Jesus died on the cross. And secondly, if you accept that forgiveness, like many of us, we're Christians, we're gathered here on Easter, but you haven't experienced the freedom of life in the Spirit, if you haven't experienced the freedom of overcoming the consistent failures, if you have not experienced the freedom of new life in Christ, He rose from the dead and ascended to the Father to send His Holy Spirit to us so that we can live an empowered life, no longer denying Jesus to the servant girl, but boldly proclaiming Him to all the power structures that are opposed to Him. That's Peter's lot. Ours look different, right? I'm not going to testify in front of the Jews. Like, this isn't me, right? And it's probably not you, but there are ways that you have failed. There are ways that you are struggling. There are ways that the Lord wants to empower you to overcome the mess that you are facing and dealing with, that his spirit is life and power. And he rose to give it to you. And then thirdly, if you're walking in forgiveness and you're walking in freedom, one of my favorite prayers is this prayer for boldness, that we can always pray for more boldness to proclaim the reality of what we're living in with Jesus. So we're going to get ready to take communion. We take it here every Sunday So the worship band can come up and the communion people can get that going. But we take communion because it is this powerful representation. It is this reality that Jesus initiated to say, this is my body broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. It is a tangible way of us experiencing the power of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. That his body was literally broken for us. His blood was literally poured out for us. And it is an invitation to take his life into our lives. To take his life into our lives. To let him live in us. So if you've not taken Jesus before, if you have not given your life to him, if you've not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you're not living in this life that says there is no condemnation in Christ, don't worry about communion today. That's not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus. And so give your life to him today. Offer your broken dreams and your denials and your failures and say, here's my broken stuff, Lord, what do you have for me? And he says, here is my righteousness. Here is a life free from condemnation. It's yours. 
And if you are a Christian, take communion today. Relish the forgiveness that was bought for us on the cross and invite the Spirit to embolden you to live the life that God is calling you to, to live in the powerful boldness of life in the Spirit. Thank you.